Hello, and welcome to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about upcoming events, this podcast, and for other resources, visit candygibbs.com. We're going to talk tonight about Paul. So we've talked about Jonah, and Jonah was disobedient, and the Lord restored him to obedience and restored him in a place of submitting his will. Uh, Then this morning, we talked about the woman at the well, and the Lord restored her uh, to her calling, and he restored her heart and her emotions. And tonight, we're going to talk about Paul, and the Lord restored Paul's spiritual sight. So I want to talk just a little bit about who Paul was. Um, Paul was named Saul and lived a great portion of his life as Saul. The Bible tells us in Acts 22:14, Paul was chosen to know the will of the Lord and see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth and to be his witness to all men of what he had seen and heard. So basically what that scripture is saying, Paul was chosen to know the will of the Lord, to see the Lord, to hear the Lord, and then to share with other people what he saw and what he heard. So before Saul became Paul, he was a Pharisee, and he was up and coming in the religious circles. So a Pharisee, they were um, the governing religious body of the time. They were well-educated, they were well-respected, and they had an idea of what religion was going to look like. They had an idea of what the Messiah was going to do when he showed up, and they knew their place in this framework of religion. And Paul was a rising star. He was making a name for himself. He would have been that guy in the religious circles in that day where people were like, have you heard about that guy, Saul? I mean, he is, he's got a command of the Torah. And when he speaks, he speaks with authority. Um, Saul had to have had charisma because people were drawn to him. He was a leader. Um, People knew his name. The word tells us in Acts chapter 7 and 8, that Saul was present during the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr. Um, And the Bible says that when Stephen was being stoned, the men that were throwing the stones were laying their garments at the feet of Saul, which would suggest that he was actually the authority, giving them the authority to stone Stephen. He also studied at the feet of well-known rabbis and teachers. He was a wise young man. I mean, he was on the fast track. Um, But Saul was actually spiritually blind. And he was challenged when Jesus uh, lived and died and then he had these disciples and they called um, the disciples and that movement that was following Jesus, they called themselves the way. And so Saul was living um, in this time when Jesus had just lived, 
He had just been crucified. Now the disciples, which we're going to talk about them in the morning, but they're filled with the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And they've been fully restored and they are out starting the church. And what they are doing and the things they are saying is contrary to what Paul or Saul thought should happen. This did not fit into the framework of this religious um, structure that Saul had been raised to put all of his stock, all of his belief in. Being a Pharisee was Saul's career, and he had given his life to it. He was gifted, he was climbing the ladder, and he thought he understood the way that things should go. The way he saw it, he was making a name for himself and this whole Jesus movement and the way it was threatening to everything that Saul had invested his life in. So I want to read to you now. This is in Acts chapter 22, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation. I'm going to start in verse 2. I'm going to start in verse 1. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow believers and elders, please listen to me as I offer my defense. Now, when everyone realized he was speaking to them in their Judean Aramaic language, the crowd became all the more attentive. Paul said, I am a Jewish man who was born in Tarsus, a city of Turkey. However, I grew up in this city and was properly trained in the, Mo- in the Mosaic law and tutored by Rabbi Gamaliel according to our ancestral customs. I've been extremely passionate in my life's desire to please God, just as all of you are today. I have hunted down and killed the followers of this way. I have seized them and thrown them into prison, both men and women. All of this can be verified by the high priest and the supreme council of elders, for they even wrote letters to our fellow Jews of Damascus, authorizing me to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a brilliant heavenly light suddenly appeared flashing all around me. As I fell to the ground, I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, my Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus, the victorious. I am the one you are persecuting. Those who were with me saw the brilliant light, but they didn't hear the voice of the one who spoke to me. So I asked, Lord, what am I to do? And the Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus. And there you will be told about all that you're destined to do. Because of the dazzling glory of the light, I couldn't see. I was left blind. So they had to lead me by the hand the rest of the way into Damascus. A Jewish man living there named Ananias came to see me. He was a godly man who lived according to the law of Moses and was highly esteemed by the Jewish community. He stood beside me and he said, Saul, my brother, open your eyes and see again. And at that very instant, I opened my eyes and I could see. Brother Saul, receive your sight. 
You see, God blinded Saul physically so that his spiritual sight could be restored. Because until he was in the presence of the light of Jesus, he was blind spiritually to the plans and the purposes that the Lord had. And sometimes God has to interrupt this religious structure that we have with the brilliant light of the truth of who he is. And when he interrupts religion, he restores your spiritual sight. And one of the things that I have been thinking about since our question and answer time, and I want you to hear what I'm saying, no one is drawn to religion. Um, there's a way that we've always done religion and we've done church. And we have these services where we sing three songs and we have a sermon that has three points and we all say amen and try to stay awake during this hour-long service. And then we all go back to our life. And we have our religion during this hour and a half on Sunday. And then we have our life. And that's why we have discussions like, do you have political discussions with these people? Do you talk about these things in these environments? How do I come across to people so that I'm not religious, but I still can have an influence in their life? What Jesus did when he came and lived and what the disciples did when they started the church the way is shake up everything. Because come to find out, relationship with God had nothing to do with this religious framework that the Pharisees have created. And it has little to do with the religious framework that we have created. Your spiritual sight comes alive when you experience the light of who the true Savior is. I want to read to you from Philippians now. Philippians 3. And I'm going to start in verse 5. I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel as the son of a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised eight days after my birth and was raised in the strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living a separated and devout life as a Pharisee. And concerning the righteousness of the Torah, no one surpassed me. I was without a peer. Furthermore, as a fiery defender of the truth, I persecuted the Messianic believers with religious zeal. Yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for I've now forsaken them, and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know Him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now, so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ 
and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. My passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness based in, compete, in keeping the written law. My righteousness will be his based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings and I will be one with him in his death. Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with him in his resurrection. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have the same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal them to you. And let us all advance together to reach this victory prize, following one path with one passion. And what Paul was saying when he was saying this to the Jews, he was saying, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I got circumcised after I was eight days old and I was raised in strict Orthodox Judaism, separated and devout, a life as a Pharisee. I knew the Torah and nobody knew it better than me. I didn't even have an equal. That's like you, those of us who could say, I've been in church all my life. I've been to Sunday school more times than I can count. I know all the old hymns. I know the lingo. I know the terms that we use. I know all of it. I know how this thing works. And none of that matters. Because when I experience life in Jesus, I realize that my best efforts, the, the checklist that I could get an A plus on is like manure. Because he has restored my spiritual sight. And now I know that what I need to do is forget what is behind me. He has redeemed, he has restored, and I have repented of all of that. And all I know now is to run with everything I've got with passion into who he has called me to be. And Paul thought he was pursuing the call of God on his life. And then the Lord blinded him so that he could see. I want to just ask you to consider, I'm going to tell you a story about a lady. But I want you to open up your heart and your mind to whatever God wants to do in your life. And I want you to allow him to restore your sight so that you can see things from his perspective. Um, so I know for me, I was raised in a denomination where we loved evangelism. I learned the Bible like every 
Bible story that I know to this day. I knew by the time I was seven or eight years old because of this church and this denomination I grew up in. And it was wonderful. And we knew how to reach people for Jesus. Evangelism was the focus. And that is awesome. And we should all be about evangelism. But one thing we did not do is we did not talk about the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that this denomination or the people that I grew up learning from, they, they weren't anti the Holy Spirit, but they didn't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. And so we just didn't talk about those parts. And so when I became an adult and I started reading things for myself, and one thing that I can tell you is you need to read this for yourself. Because there was a scripture that I thought was in here that isn't in here. And I can quote it the same way that I have heard it said. And it was this, and the least of these is tongues. And I, I would, I find, I mean, I'm trying to find it as an adult when I'm learning about the Holy Spirit and all the gifts that come with the Spirit. And I remember, I know that there's a scripture in there that says, and the least of these is tongues, and I can't find it. So I called my dad, who was a youth pastor, and my granddad, who was a deacon in our church. Hey, Help me find, where's that scripture that says, and the least of these is sons? Well, I don't know. Let me find it. Nobody can find it because it's not in there. But we all quoted the same. And it's not here. So what I want you to know is you got to get in here yourself. And when we're talking about taking thoughts captive and putting them to the tip of the sword, this is your sword. This is the only weapon that you have. This and the power of the Holy Spirit in you. If I'm going to put thoughts to the sword, I better know what this says. And it, it, you've got to learn it for yourself. So when I start searching out these things, I'm starting to go to these churches that believe a little bit different than I did. And I want to just share some stories with you. This may never happen to you. It may never happen to me again. But I want you to know that God can do whatever God wants to do because he is God. And it is not for us to look around and go, well, I've never experienced that, so I don't believe it could possibly be true. I'm telling you, I haven't experienced everything, but everything that is from God, I want to experience it, and I don't want to be afraid of it. And so my first story that I want to tell you, I was at um, this church. This was when I was about your age. I was not married, and I'm just visiting all these churches because I'm like, God, I'm quoting that scripture, test everything, hold on to the good. Show me what's real. If this is real, I want to do it. If it's not real, I'm going to throw it out. So I'm visiting all these churches by myself. I go to this church, little bitty church, it's in a strip mall. And I go in there and it had a woman pastor, which that was challenging too, because, and I still don't necessarily believe that a woman should be a pastor of a church, but this past, this was a woman. So that was already really awkward to me, really kind of out there worship. All of you who now lift your hands in worship, if you grew up like I did, it started out where you close your eyes. Close your eyes, nobody can see you, and you get your hands about this high. You know, and then maybe a little bit higher, but it's a long time in before you can open your eyes and realize that you are free to worship. Though so these people are crazy worshiping. They are wild. I am uncomfortable. I mean, anxiety attack. Woo! 
I do not see that lady doing that over there. Lord help me. And I am by as close to the back door as I can get in case I need to be getting quick. So this service starts, the lady starts preaching and I am very uncomfortable. So she's doing her message, whatever. And about midway through this message, she looks at me at the way back of this church and she goes, you to me. And she says, are you, I think you're praying for a spouse. I'm like, well, good guess. I'm like 22 years old and I'm by myself. So that's not, you know, revelatory. And she goes, would you let me pray for you? So I'm like, okay, yeah, you can pray for me. So, I mean, this is the middle of service. Now, the way we do it, we sing, we have the message, we have the invitation with the altar call. That's the appropriate way to do it, right? This is rocking my world. So in the middle, here I come. She standing in the middle, come in front of her. Well, while I'm coming up there, she goes, as a matter of fact, is anyone else in the room? Are you wanting to be prayed for, for, you know, whatever? And now I am like about to hyperventilate and I'm standing there like, good Lord. So I'm thinking because of the way I was raised that all these people are going to line up behind me to get prayed for. No. They start getting like this from me. And they're lined up like this. And I'm like, what is really going on? Well, the lady goes down to that end. And she starts praying for these people. And these people start going down. And there's catchers coming behind these people, catching them. And they are out like they are like passing out. This is called slain in the spirit. They are going down all like this. And I am like, uh, uh. And I am having a serious conversation with God. And I was upset. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. You're about to embarrass me. You're going to embarrass this lady. But there is no chance that I'm about to lay myself down on this floor. I am not doing it. And she ain't going to push me over. That is for dang sure. And I mean, I am just like, God, I'm not doing that. I mean, I, and I'm embarrassed and sweating. And it, they're just getting closer, closer, closer. Well, they get to me, and I'm like, I am telling you one thing. I am not laying down on the ground. And so then I think, okay, I've got my point across to the Lord, and I can at least listen what this lady's going to pray, right? So I'm like, okay, clear. I'm not doing it. And I start listening to what she's saying. And heaven as my witness, the lady never touched me. And the next thing I knew, I was laying on the floor. <laughs> and the Lord said to me, you will do whatever I tell you to do. And I was like, you got that straight. Now, can I please get up off of this floor? And that is the one and only time that has ever happened to me. That has never happened to me before. But every time I've seen it on TV or anything else, I'm like, those people are the nuttiest people ever. That cannot be God. But I'm telling you, I did not do that to myself. And this little woman did not push me down. And I was down. And what the Lord spoke to me was, don't tell me what you won't do. 
You will do what I say. And I will. My heart's desire is to do whatever God says. I heard a pastor saying that he was in a worship service um, one night and Heidi Baker, do y'all know about Heidi Baker? I'm going to tell you about Heidi Baker. Have I told you about Heidi Baker before? I got to tell Heidi Baker. So she's with this pastor and they're in this worship service and there's this woman and she is just worshiping obnoxiously, sort of distracting to people. And this pastor guy is totally distracted by this lady and he's like, you are a whack job. And so it bothers him really bad all through worship. And he's super offended by her and oh my gosh. And so they get to the end of worship and they're sitting down and Heidi Baker leans over to this pastor and goes, isn't that the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? Talk about this crazy lady. And she says, that woman is in her 50s and she's been a prostitute all of her life. And she has just come to know the Lord and she worships like that because she is so thankful for what the Lord has done in her life. Heidi Baker is a lady that uh, growing up, she went to a church that focused on missions. And uh, that's the same kind of church that I grew up in. And we would have Wednesday nights, GAs and RAs. And we would learn about missionaries all over the world. And she had this lady that was teaching her. And this lady just helped Heidi develop this passion to be a missionary. So she um, grows up just set on, I'm going to be a missionary. Well, she goes to college. Right at the end of college, she meets this guy. They decide they're going to get married. Um, but she's like, are you into missions? Because I'm going to Africa. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. So he takes her home to meet his mom. Heidi goes into this house to meet this her fiancé or the man she's going to marry's mom. And lo and behold, it's the same lady that was her teacher that developed this love for missions in her heart. So they get married. They don't want anything, no gifts, no nothing. As soon as they get married, they take all the money that they get for their wedding and they go to Africa. When they get to Africa, they don't know what they're going to do. They're not sponsored by anybody. Nobody's paying them. And they just show up in Africa. Well, the husband, he starts walking around this village like, okay, Lord, here we are. And this man comes up to him and is like, hey, I got something I want to show you. And he takes Heidi Baker's husband outside of town to this orphanage that had been run by the government and the government had vacated this orphanage, but the kids were still out there. And they would take food out there once a day and drop it off to these kids. But these kids are just like wild animals living out there alone. And he says, would y'all want to take over this orphanage? He's like, yep. So they move out there to that orphanage. Well, when they go out there, Heidi's like, we do not know what we're doing. We don't have any provision. And she said, the Lord told her, I will always make sure you have enough. If you follow me, I'll always make sure you have enough. So she's like, okay, well, they get that thing in order. And these kids are under control and they're loved and it's like a family and it's work going good. And uh, Heidi and her husband have some children and they're several years old and they get them an apartment in town and they come out to the orphanage. They've got a staff. Well, the government decides we're going to take it back over. 
So they come out and they say, hey, tomorrow we're taking this back. Y'all are out. Thank you for cleaning it up. But we're going to take it from here. Well, those kids are devastated because this is their family. This is their parents. And so they decide to take the children in the night to their little apartment in town. So in they go. All these kids, their kids, packed into this apartment or this little house, whatever it was. So a few days go by, and Heidi's like, God, you said that we would always have enough, and I don't even have enough to feed my own children, much less all these children, and you're going to have to help. Well, to the door, knock, knock, knock. Here comes the little Baptist missionary wife. And she goes, I heard what happened to your family. And I brought you a pot of beans and a pot of rice. And I want you to know we're praying for you. And Heidi says, well, good. I want to introduce you to my family. And she opens up the door and shows this lady all of these children. And the lady's like, well, let me go call the other women and see if we can get some more food because there is not enough food here to feed all of you. And Heidi goes, no, come in. We're going to have everybody bring their plate. Well, so here they come, and the lady is like, oh, two beans, two pieces of rice. <laughs> and Heidi goes, no, you give them a full plate because the Lord told me that if we trusted him and we were obedient, we would always have enough. And so kid after kid after kid after kid comes and gets a full plate from one pot of beans and one pot of rice because the Lord said, if you trust me, you will always have what you need. Well, that ministry has grown to the point now where she will go into a village that has never heard the name of Jesus and take these children that are in this orphanage. And she will say, bring me everyone in the village who is deaf. And these deaf people, these people have known these people all of their life. They've always been deaf. They send them. And then Heidi has those children ask the Lord to restore the hearing of these people. And miracle after miracle after miracle of instantaneous, these people can hear. And then Heidi is able to say, the same God that will allow a child to restore hearing to this person is here to save you. And it opens up opportunity for these people then to believe in a God that they cannot see and have never heard of because he can do the miraculous. God does not fit into the way that we see things. We have to be willing to allow Him to restore our spiritual sight because nobody is compelled to follow a God that fits into an hour and a half a week. But we need God, our God, the God, to restore our sight and invade every part of our life. And we have to start thinking in a new way. And it is that things are not compartmentalized. My relationship with the Lord doesn't reside in my church and in my family. It is in my political views. It is in my workplace. 
It is in my social groups because it is in me. We can't keep putting him where we're comfortable. We have to ask him to restore our sight. Paul was, he says, he was the worst of sinners. He watched and authorized the stoning and persecution of Christians. He was against everything that Jesus represented until he encountered the light of Jesus. So the question is, is anybody ever too far gone? Is anybody ever too blind? They're not. And even the worst people that we can think of, which I've told you, I've, I've committed in my estimation the worst thing that you could do, which is take an innocent life. But racists or Whatever you want to label people, murderers, molesters, anyone, no one is too far gone. But the fact is that I can't talk a racist out of being racist. There's not enough words. There's not enough time in the day. They have scales on their eyes. Do you know that when Paul's sight was restored, And by the way, Ananias, that dude does not get enough credit. Because Paul had killed, we don't even know how many Christians. And the Lord comes to Ananias and says, hey, there's this guy named, named Saul. He's blind. You need to go pray for him and restore his sight. And he's like, I heard about that guy. I mean, talk about scary, right? You better know you know the voice of God. But Ananias goes and he prays for Saul, whose name is now Paul, and it says something like scales fell off of his eyes. People who are racist, people who are bigots, people who don't know Jesus, they're atheists, they will stand up and fight for something. All of us have a battle to fight. There's something in you that um, the Lord put there. You want to fight. You want to stand up for something. You want to live for something bigger than yourself. So do people that don't know God. That's why they're burning things up and tearing things up and fighting people and raising Cain because they were made to stand for something. But they have scales on their eyes. And they haven't experienced a restoration of their sight. They haven't experienced the light of Jesus, and my words of explaining to them why racism is wrong and why violence is wrong and why we need to like the police and why all these things until they encounter Jesus to remove the scales from their eyes. They can't see it. But no one is too far gone. And if you're blind, you're blind. I can't be more blind. If we're both blind, we're blind. If you're a sinner and I'm a sinner, we're sinners. We're separated from God. And we need to be restored. So what I'm praying for is that we would get a new perspective. That the Lord would restore our spiritual sight. And you don't have to... uh, 
maybe you may never be slain in the Spirit. Maybe you may never speak in tongues. Maybe you may never pray for someone and then they receive their hearing. But that doesn't mean that God isn't at work in those things. Because He will go to any means necessary to point people to Himself. And our obligation is to ask the Lord to remove whatever scales that blind us to release us from a religious spirit, from, a, from a, this religious framework that we have been raised in to see from His perspective. And nothing that God does is not good and right for your benefit and to benefit others and to draw people to Himself. So Lord, I just want to say thank you. I love that your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways because I need you to be so much bigger than that. I don't want to be able to understand you because then you would not be God. But Lord, we do ask that you would remove scales from our eyes, that you would help us to see from your vantage point. Help us to see people the way that you see people. Help us to see situations the way that you see them, God. Help us to see you in a clear way, God. Remove every obstacle that would stand between us and a clear view of who you are. And God, help us to see ourselves unblinded with restored spiritual sight. God, I just want to thank you for every person in this room and for the strength and the power and the hope that I see in them, Lord, the encouragement that it is to me. God, so many of them are just tired. I just want to say, well done, guys. The Lord sees that you're fighting well and you're fighting hard and you're being consistent. I just ask, Lord, that you would come and fill them up with new vision, with new hope, with new energy, with new understanding. God, would you make us wise? Would you teach us, God, like Solomon asked, we need to know how to go out and come in. And this weekend is about coming in and just being with the King and enjoying relationship and receiving. So God, you have spoken some things to our hearts today. I know you did some amazing things in the, in the prayer labyrinth, and I just want to say thank you for that, God. Help us to remember that at any moment we can carve out time just like that to just sit and be and receive because we need to come in, God, so that you can restore our soul, so that you can speak tenderly to us so that you can love us. Because God, then we got to go out. Because there are battles to fight. And we want to do it, God, from a place where we have been with the King. We've been prepared. And we are ready and armed for battle. 
And we know who the enemy is, and it isn't people. Teach us, God, how to fight. Teach us how to be effective. Nobody wants to swing and miss, God. I just ask that you would help us to be precise and effective in the battles that you've called us to fight. I just thank you, God, for this army right here. I ask you would help us, God, to be better about surrounding people when they get wounded and tending to those who are hurt in the battle and in just the day-to-day, God. Help us to love each other back to health. Help us to hold each other accountable, encourage each other, strengthen each other, God. I just ask that you would send us out from this weekend stronger than we came in. And they came in pretty strong, Lord. I just see the Lord having set for you a table. And you can eat anything here. You can ask Him for anything that you need. You know what you need to You know what the battlefield looks like. But this weekend is the hospital. It's where you come to get stitched up, rested up, to eat, to receive, to hear, to laugh. So don't leave here this weekend without having received everything that you need plus the bonus. When Joseph was made the king of Egypt and his brothers came because they were starving, they left back and Joseph put extra provisions in the packs. Because the God that you serve isn't the God of just enough, but more than enough, abundance. So if you need your time to be multiplied, if you need your energy to be multiplied, if you need your wisdom or your influence or your resources to be multiplied, you just need to ask Him. Because just like He multiplied the food for Heidi Baker, He will multiply whatever you need to make it more than enough. Because you are not citizens of the United States, but you are citizens of a kingdom, and your dad is the king. And there is not anything that he would withhold from you. So God, we just thank you, and we receive from you. We want to know you more, God. Restore our sight, Lord. Restore our will, God. We will do whatever you ask us to do. Restore our heart and our emotion, God. Make us whole. We want to be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. For more information and other resources, visit candygibbs.com.